When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast where we are talking wide receivers. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock and I take a look at the Browns wide receiver position, try to decide why the passing game struggled so much this year and then we look ahead to how the Browns and Andrew Barry can address the receiver position and the passing game in the offseason. Now, if you're not a football insider, subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page daily newsletter delivered directly to your inbox access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns and you can become one of our text subscribers again cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page okay let's talk receivers here's our thursday orange and brown talk podcast here we go on the orange and brown talk podcast we are going to talk receivers today and there are a lot of questions about this group and so i came up with a few to throw at all of you as we go through the receiver uh, position, looking at what it was and looking what it could be moving forward. So I got a little math challenge for you guys, and, and we're going to test our math skills, and this always causes me problems, but here we go. The passing game was very obviously broken this year. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast. We're going to talk about it a lot this offseason. It was broken. Percentage-wise, who would you put it on? The receiving core, the scheme, and the quarterback. Let's start there. If you had to give a percentage to those three things, receiving core, scheme, and quarterback, is it 33 all around? That would leave us a 3% somewhere. 1%. Is, yeah, there we go. What, what do you think? Who wants to go first? Who wants to test their math skills first here? I'll go. Uh, I'm going to go 50%. I'll probably go 50% quarterback. And then... Um, 30% receiving core and 20% scheme. I'm not saying that when I say, when I put at least 50% on the quarterback, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, it was all his fault uh, because I think we all can agree by now uh, that some of it had to do with the fact that he had this harness on and that he got injured. Um, But nevertheless, whether it be injury, ineffectiveness, or whatever the case may be, uh, a lot of this, I think, uh, is on Baker. And I think that if another, if you had plugged another quarterback in there, then I think all of a sudden the receivers look better. Uh, I think the, the tight ends look better uh, and whatnot. Uh, but when I look at the, uh, at the receiving core, I mean, there were a lot of dropped passes this year. And I, do, I still do think that some of the dropped passes can be pinned on the quarterback because it can be ball placement, it can be the time the ball arrives, uh, you know, in relation to when you run your route or make your cut. Uh, so I still do think that a little bit of it could be that, um, you know, maybe just not getting the ball out as quickly of his hand as he needs to. Um, but still, there were plenty of times when there was a ball right in the hands of a tight end or a receiver, and they just dropped the darn thing. That happened a lot uh, to the point where I don't have these numbers in fresh in my mind at the moment, but I think... Uh, he was somewhere around seventh or ninth in the NFL in terms of drop percentage might be ninth. Um, so he was, he was 
pretty pretty high up there in terms of drop percentage. They they were oh, and that was according to Pro Football Focus. It's different if you look at Pro Football Reference. They uh, they did not attribute they they might have had more drops on Pro Football Reference, but nevertheless there were there were too many drops. There were twenty five drops on Pro Football Focus. And the drop percentage was really high and it was higher than it should be. And we saw, you know, we saw Austin Hooper and other guys have the ball right in their hands and they dropped it. And we, we saw that quite a bit this season. Uh, and then schematically, I guess I don't put as much on the scheme as I do the execution, uh, because I do feel like we saw that last year when people are executing, the scheme works pretty nicely. It hums along pretty well. Uh, so I don't put as much on the scheme. Uh, I, I'm putting it on the players more so than anything. Scott or Ashley? Uh, I, I'd probably go 60% Baker and then I'd split up the rest between the receivers and the offensive line. Baker was under pressure more than he was last year. It wasn't a huge jump, but um, it was significant enough, especially over the second half of this past season. Um, Mary Kay's right about the drops. That percentage was uh, like top 10 and you just, and they came in key moments too. Like we can remember third and fourth downs or red zone drops that happened this year that just were crushing at times. And uh, you know, the receivers overall just did not perform the way they had the year before. And even though they didn't get a lot of, targets like the, the, the receivers in this offense just don't get as much targets as most other teams. And that was the case last year, but they were just so darn efficient last year. Uh, and it just wasn't there this season. They had like a negative EPA per target this year. One of like six teams, I think to, to be that low. So uh, it's just the receivers. I don't think grows to the level of, of the issues that Baker was having with his injuries and just performance overall. Um, but again, I, I think I would put offensive line in there, I guess, over, over scheme. Okay. Ashley. Yeah. I'm going to split the difference between Scott and Mary Kay and say 55% Baker. And I think he gets the majority just because of the, the injury and how we saw the narrative change around that harness by the end of the season, they were admitting that it impacted him. And I do think that threw off his chemistry with a lot of these receivers. Now I'll give, let's see, I'm at 55%. I have 45% left. I took the easiest math class John Carroll University had to offer when I was in college. Um, I'll give 20, 30% to the wide receivers. And I think there certainly were drops and everything like Mary Kay was talking about, but I also wonder like with the success of that unit, how much of it has to do with Baker and Odell never clicked Odell leaves. Now Donovan Peoples Jones is in a, in a role he's not really designed to be in. Um, I do agree with Scott is in terms of the line. Like I think the, the issues at tackle this year, we, we saw how much that impacted this offense and, um, but I think again, too, going back to some of Baker's issues that are non-injury related, I do think there's some processing issues there. Um, I do think that there's still some footwork issues there, like we saw in the Green Bay game. So I think again, that goes to the higher percentage for me. Um, and then scheme gets the rest just because I think that was so dependent on what Baker could do this year. 
And that kind of was the effect and Baker's injury, whatever else, not clicking with the receivers was a cause. Okay. So I'm, I'm going 45 quarterback, uh, 35 receivers and, and 20 steam. And I'm kind of going a little heavier on the receivers, not necessarily like, I think it's a little unfair to harshly judge like Donovan Peoples Jones, but at the same time, just some of these things were out of their control. Odell was gone you know, right after Halloween, Jarvis Landry was hurt. You just didn't get what you thought you were going to get out of the receivers. Anthony Schwartz, you know, we're going to talk about all these guys as, as we move along here, but I think some stuff out of their control really just kind of hampered what this receiving court could do. And, and that domino of having to move guys around after you lost Odell, after you didn't have Jarvis for a long time. And for what Scott said with the scheme, I mean, this isn't a scheme that's designed to, to necessarily allow a ton of receivers to flourish, uh, so, so I think that has to be part of the discussion too. But I wanted to ask that first because that, that's sort of how we have to frame this passing game and how we talk about this group. So let's move on and start getting into some individual guys. And let's just start with the biggest name, Jarvis Landry. Huge money on the books if they keep him, if they don't redo the deal. So I, I guess we'll play the percentage game here again. Mary Kay, what are the odds that you think Jarvis Landry is in a Browns uniform next year? And what does it take for that to happen? You know, I'm going to say 50-50 right now. And the reason why I have it even that high at $16.55 million cap hit for next season uh, is because uh, just hearing everybody talk about him at the end of the season from Alex Van Pelt to Kevin Stefanski to Andrew Barry, he still is in very, very good standing with the club. They like him. They felt that after Odell Beckham Jr. left, uh, that he was still the good soldier, that that he, you know, maintained a good attitude. And even though he, he's 29 and he was injured, I still think that he, they believe that he is a, a very good receiver. Now, he might decline a little bit in, at age 30 next year when he turns 30 in November. Uh, but for the most part, I think that if Baker Mayfield does come back and he is the quarterback, there would be some consideration giving, given to keeping Jarvis Landry around in part because he does have a good chemistry with Baker Mayfield. And I think that 2022, if Baker is here, is going to be all about trying to help him get his confidence back and supply him with uh, people around him that he can function well with. And Jarvis has always been one of those guys for him. So I do think he's got a chance of coming back, but I don't think he was happy with the, with the amount of opportunities that he got, even though we've talked about the fact that his targets really weren't down much from the year before. I mean, they were, they're down from previous years, but pretty similar to last year, I believe. Um, And again, he missed a couple of games with his knee injury, but I think that, um, what it would take is that they they might have to think about a restructuring, which could be a win-win for both if they bring the cap number down and give him some more guaranteed money, then I think he would be up for that. Uh, but I think he is also going to want some reassurances that the offense is going to function better and that it's all going to be a little bit more smooth than it was this year and that he's going to have maybe an opportunity to contribute more than he did. Uh, because I think he fell into that camp of he didn't like the way that, that this goes. And I, I actually talked to him about that at his charity event. So I, you know, so I heard it with my own two ears, asked the question myself and, and got that answer from him. So um, yeah, that's what I think. I was going to say, this is a hard one because obviously he can still play. He's still a productive player, still the best receiver 
you have on this roster, but they got 28 million in cap space for 2022, which is like middle of the pack. But you have like you have maybe two or three people you need to sign on the defensive line, depending on how you feel about Jordan Elliott. You, you might need a new middle linebacker, depending on how you feel about Jacob Phillips, new tight end. It's like if you take all the guys headed for free agency, I went back and added it up. If you take all the guys who were headed for free agency this year, they accounted for about $19 million of cap space this past season. If you were to resign all of them, some would get raises, obviously, like Clowney. But that eats into a lot of that $28 million for the coming year. And then you still got the rookie contracts to, to, to deal with. So, like, looking at Landry's deal, no matter how good he is, and you see, well, gee, I've, we have, you know, $28 million of cap space right now. We can have, like, over forty. If we if we move on and try to get younger or maybe get somebody who isn't voicing displeasure about not getting enough targets in this offense that isn't going to get you the kind of targets you may want. So I think ultimately this is just going to be a money thing where you're looking at what you need to do to, to bring in new players. And if you want to make a big splash. Uh, at a position, you're, you're going to need the cap space to, to help do that. And they have lots of holes to, to fill. $28 million yeah, so, is going to go quick. So I, I went lower on this. You know, I'll put it up maybe like 25%. I just think, and, and again, this is the discussion we're going to have as we go along here. I want to see them make an investment in this position, not just in the draft. I want to see them be aggressive in free agency at this position. And, and there's some names we'll get into as, as we go, but like, you know, a guy like a Mike Williams from the Chargers, he's not going to come cheap, but he'd certainly be an upgrade for this team. And then you have to decide you're, you're going to have to take some of that money you're paying Jarvis Landry and give it to him. And like you said, Scott, there's other people that you'd have to go pay. I, I just think we've sort of reached the point now where, you know, as much as I love everything Jarvis has, has meant to this franchise and everything he does when he's on the field, it's going to be tough to, you know, he's, he, this is the first time he started to deal with injuries. That concerns me a little bit. He, he's getting close to 30. He'll turn 30 in November. Is this going to be a trend? Was it an outlier? I don't know. It, I think that money's probably going to have to go elsewhere. So, so I'm going to go lower on this and say about 25%. Yeah, Dan, I'm going to go slightly higher than you, but still below that that 50% threshold. I'll say about 40. And you, you kind of hit on it there. The age for me and the injuries kind of maybe, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that. And you're already looking at his year this year, fewest catches of his career, lowest yardage, touchdown total, um, all that stuff. So I just think that when you're in a situation like this, we've obviously talked so much about how we think the receiver room needs kind of a retooling. I do think it'll come down to money, kind of like Scott was saying. And obviously Jarvis Landry has meant so much to the turnaround of this franchise over the last few years. And obviously just the, the leadership and attitude even he brings is just as important, I think, as any production he had on the field. But at a certain point, like you can't pay for the past, like you have to be looking forward and what does this team need now? Um, so ultimately it just might not be feasible, I think for him to be here and for all the positive stuff we heard, you know, the team, the organization, Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski say about Jarvis Landry. It's like, that's, that also could just be if he leaves. And this was the last time they talked about him. It was an appreciation almost for him as, as well. It could be read that way. I think. 
Yeah, that Andrew Barry, the, the last answer he gave on Jarvis, when you go back and read it, it doesn't hit quite the same, but just when I was listening to it in real time, it sure felt like that was a uh, <laughs> thanks for everything, Jarvis, answer. Mm-hmm. Now, things can change between January, whatever that was, and the start of the new lead year. But um, I, I mean, let's just, let's just have this discussion now then. So because we're talking about money and because we're talking about Jarvis, and, and we'll get into some roles with some other guys here, but the, I mean, these are some of the names that are headed for free agency this offseason. Devontae Adams Sign is him. one of them, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you know, Chris Godwin, he tore his ACL, but when he's healthy, he's one of the best receivers in football. Mike Williams, Browns fans saw that firsthand. He, was, he actually was tied for the league lead in plays of over 40 yards. Allen Robinson, um, you know, Michael Gallup, uh, I, I believe he got hurt at the end of the year too. Uh, Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham are on this list, so that – Probably not looking at either of those two guys, but then you've even got, even got guys like one of our texters called this guy out, you know, a DJ chart from Jacksonville who wouldn't cost a ton of money, but you know, he's a nice receiver, but if you're going to go kind of big game hunting there for a Devonte Adams or a Mike Williams or an Allen Robinson, I, I don't know. I mean, would you guys rather see them do that than bring back Jarvis Landry? If that's the choice they have to make. Well, first of all, if you are going to go big game hunting like that for one of those guys, those guys are going to want to know who the quarterback is. They're going to want to have some assurances (laughs) that they're going to get the football there. They do not want to come here. And, you know, the first phone call they're going to that they might make would be to like an Odell Beckham Jr. So they're going to be watching, you know, they might even talk to Stefan Diggs. So there might be a little bit of a receiver perception problem going on here. Uh, And if you want to attract a guy like that, you're going to have to sell them on what you have going and why things are going to be different with this passing game. But I would go after one of these guys. I really like Chris Godwin. Uh, There are a number of them uh, that I think would be good as Isaiah McKenzie on that list too. Right. I think I I believe Uh, I, I don't. Yeah. He is a free agent. Yeah. So, um, you know, Alan Robinson, even uh, a Calvin Ridley. I wrote about this in one of my Hayes. Now, Calvin Ridley from the Falcons, a 2018 first round pick is somebody who could be available in a trade and he will be in his option year next year at $11.1 million. So from a, a money standpoint, that's pretty good for a receiver of that caliber. But that's one of those situations where you would, you're going to really have to determine how he's doing from an emotional standpoint because he stepped away from the game last season to work on his mental well-being. Now, if they felt like uh, that was just a, you know, a Falcons-specific thing and that he needed a change of scenery, then you know, maybe they would feel good about something like that. But you know, right now, with, uh, with what they have with Malik McDowell going on, um, you know, I, they, I think they have to be extra cautious and extra careful about taking on any off-field risks right now. Uh, but that's something I think to keep an eye on, uh, and that's not going to break the bank for you. Uh, so there's that. But once again, uh, I think a lot of it's going to depend on uh, what happens with them at quarterback. I mean, Devontae Adams, like, do you really think he's going to come here uh, if he thought that this situation was going to be the same as what he saw in 2021, not happening. Absolutely not happening. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. And then it, what also has to do with it is what happens with your first round pick. Do you think you're going to have your first round pick to spend on a wide receiver or did you use it 
to trade for a quarterback. So there's a lot that's going to happen over the next month and a half that will dictate if you're going wide receiver with your first round pick, if you're going to use that to acquire a quarterback, if you need to go after a Chris Godwin and all of those things. I think, I think Doug has the right idea here and that you might need to bring in somebody young who just only knows this offense uh, because at this point, Kevin Stefanski running an offense has a good track record of making receivers unhappy going back to Minnesota. You know, if, if any of those guys are going to come here, they need to understand that they're probably looking at maybe 70 catches, eight to 900 yards and lots and lots of blocking. The Browns ran the ball. Like they were third in rushing attempts last season. I think they were top five the year before. Um, that's the reality of that position, unless there's a huge shift this off season. Uh, but those are conversations I'm sure that those receivers are going to want to have and questions they're going to ask, uh, you know, Stefanski and, and, and the coaching staff that they're going to want to know, is that the way it is? And the Browns are probably going to want to know, can you live with that? Cause that's the way this operates. Yeah. My biggest concern, I guess, since the Odell stuff happened is how it might impact them this way, because obviously I think the way Odell Beckham Jr. left Cleveland, it left a lot of bad tastes in fans' mouths, essentially. Um, but I just think he is so, like, kind of beloved as a teammate, which we saw here. And I think that kind of transcends throughout the league. Um, so I think Mary Kay was the one who said, like, are these guys going to be calling him or, or something like that? Like, I just worry about the optics of that plus the optics of like all the 13 personnel they use and receivers numbers here and whether or not it's going to be feasible to get one of these top free agent targets that you're going to be able to convince a guy to come here um, in a perfect world. Like I wish that's what they would do for the sake of the offense, but I'm not entirely convinced it's going to be possible to this scale. This is a really interesting position too, because we've seen Andrew Barry when he's gone out and he's addressed the needs of, right. He went out, and address tight end and tackle his first year really aggressively and spent a lot of money. And last year it was the defense. He goes out and he gets John Johnson, right? He goes and gets the best guy and pays that guy a lot of money, but receivers different. You know, I'm looking at the top averages per year here. You know, Deandre Hopkins makes 27 million a year. Julio Jones, 22 a year. Keenan Allen, 20 a year. Amari Cooper, same deal, 20 a year. That's a little bit of a different stratosphere than Andrew Barry has had to pay when he's gone out and made guys the highest paid player at a position in order to fix it. Do we, do we think that's an approach he would still take or is it smarter to kind of look at those middling guys, you know, a guy that maybe isn't going to demand that top tier money, but is still really good and can still come. I don't like, I don't know what Isaiah McKenzie is going to make in free agency, but should we be looking at, kind of those those guys who are below that top tier well it depends on once again uh what you're going to have to pay at some other positions and i think it all starts with really what happens uh at quarterback uh because if your quarterback number next year for baker is 18.86 million dollars and then you keep case around uh you know that's different than if you uh, you trade for a quarterback who has a much, much higher cap number for next year. Uh, but also, if you do that, uh, you can redo the deal and you can lower the cap number for next year. But
But I think that's going to be part of the equation is what you can afford to do. I don't think in a perfect world they would want to spend north of $20 million for a, a free agent receiver. I don't think they would want to do that. Uh, I think ideally they would probably rather draft the best receiver they can find and then add a couple other supplemental pieces in free agency, maybe make a trade um, and, and try to try to pull it off that way. Maybe in that scenario, you do uh, know that you at least have something that you can count on in Jarvis Landry if you can get that number down. And again, 16.55 doesn't sound that bad when you talk about some of the other uh, top receivers out there and what they're making. Nevertheless, I still think you'd want to bring that number down some. So what if you had, you know, Jarvis and then a, a good like first round pick like a Garrett Wilson? I mean, you can make the numbers work if you don't need that number one pick this year to trade for a quarterback. And there, there are there will be some quarterbacks, you know, that you could get maybe that you don't have to trade for. Um, but. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's all tied into what happens at QB. Yeah, this is where it's hard to figure out Andrew Barry because if you're going by uh, analytics and, and and I guess what the analytics community, which I, we got to come up with a better term than that, but the <laughs> analytics community thinks, uh, you know, quarterback is at the top of the list of players who impact the game. But then there's wide receiver, then there's defensive back. It's like those are the top positions that. Uh, ideally you should be sinking your money into because it's a passing league. The league is setting records for passing every year. It's been going up for quite a while. Um, but then you have the Browns, which are kind of against the grain in that respect and that they run a ton, run more than most teams. Um, so maybe the, they don't view receivers the same way as everybody else. Remember last year in 2020, again, the Browns didn't throw their receivers a ton, but they were second in EPA per target to their receivers. So they were getting so much efficiency. And that was a group that was DPJ, Richard Higgins, Kaderil Hodge. You only had Beckham for half a year, but Landry. I mean, that isn't like a star-studded group, you know, especially over the second half of the season when they really started to click. Uh, so perhaps they look at it and say, you know what, we don't need the big ticket receiver necessarily. Uh, we just need guys who can catch the ball consistently. We don't need guys who are explosive necessarily when they get the ball, because we feel we can create those opportunities for players. And by the way, our running backs are, are where those explosive plays come from. So uh, yeah, I, I have no idea where, which way Andrew Barry goes on that. I guess this offseason might give us some more information on that, but as of right now, you know, he values guards, <laughs> he values running backs, uh, tight ends, obviously. Um, so I, I would be shocked if they brought in one of those high-end guys and paid him a bunch of money. I don't, I, I doubt that guy would be happy here um, going. I mean, can you imagine Devonte Adams going from the Packers to here where he's not going to get nearly as many targets? I don't, you know, there's a lot of guys who want to leave a team and go to somewhere where they can get, be more involved in an offense. And I don't know if, if that's the way that the Browns are set up right now. I do think that, uh, the Browns are going to have to change and shift their philosophy. Just watching the divisional playoff games, for the most part, um, you know, not necessarily the the Packers game, but uh, for the most part, these are high flying, explosive offenses uh, that are succeeding and advancing in the playoffs. And you saw what it took with you know Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, and you're seeing what's happening now with Joe Burrow. Uh, you know what's going to be happening 
with the with the Ravens next year. So I think that, and even the Steelers to a certain extent, they'll have some new quarterback and they already have good receivers. So the, the Browns are going to need to bring their passing game up to 2022 standards. They have to. And I don't know how they're going to do it, um, but I think it's going to be a multifaceted approach. I think it's going to be some scheme. I think it's going to be some play calling. I think it's going to be some quarterback situation. And I think it's going to be an upgrade in, in the receiving core. So I think they are going to be able to probably go to a, maybe not Devontae Adams. He's probably going to go wherever Aaron Rodgers goes, which, which could be here. I'm not ruling that out either. Um, I'm not ruling out Aaron Rodgers coming here. I mean, this is not a bad place to land if you're a, a quarterback wanting to win a Super Bowl anytime soon. But I think they are going to be able to reassure th- this caliber of a receiver that it's go- going to be better than it was last year. It has to be. You cannot get by with the passing game the way that it was last year. Now, the year before, when it came alive a little bit, the other thing that they have to be careful about is to think that that had everything to do with them because it had something to do with as well the fact that they were playing some pretty crappy defenses down the stretch. And now when you look to next year, uh, the Ravens, they should have their two all-pro cornerbacks back. The Cincinnati Bengals are playing much better defense now than they did in 2020. The Pittsburgh Steelers, somehow they always manage to restock their defense and play pretty good defense. Uh, So I think you have to to look at it as though uh, they're not going to be on easy street the way they sometimes were in 2020. Okay, let's take a quick break here and then uh, we will talk our favorite thing. A little bit of draft. And then I have a, a couple questions about some current rounds as well. Back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, where we are talking Browns wide receivers, and we're going to shift our focus a little bit to the draft because this is this is the position a lot of Browns fans have circled already for number 13. Now, I actually just pulled up uh, Daniel Jeremiah's most recent draft. He's got the Browns taking an edge rusher. I certainly uh, I'm gearing up to make that case at some point when Doug is on this podcast that eh, maybe you should take an edge rusher at number 13 and try and get receiver elsewhere. So I'll ask you guys, is it receiver or bust at number 13? Uh, I'm looking at the three deep uh, depth chart for the Browns, a wide receiver. And obviously Landry's still on there. Higgins still on there. You got three guys on rookie contracts. You got DPJ Schwartz and Felton, who, if you weren't counting him as a receiver, uh, that's three guys. And if you're adding a fourth, um, I think it's something that you need to probably do more than just draft a guy for sure, because you, you have depth issues. I think more so than top end issues at receiver because that depth ended up hurting you this year. It didn't hurt you so much last year because you had guys that kind of rose up and played well. Um, DPJ didn't reach his level. He did as a rookie, but he still was one of the best receivers uh, efficiency wise on this, on this roster. But you didn't have it in, in Schwartz. You didn't get enough from Felton. You didn't have it from Higgins. Um, so I can see them going receiver at 13. Like I said, I think Doug has the right idea that you bring in somebody that you can kind of mold and say, this is, this is good. Don't worry about all those other guys getting 100 catches and, <laughs> and 1,200 yards receiving. What you're doing is important. It has value. 
and uh, it makes this offense go. Um, I, I do not think they should take an edge rusher. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that podcast too. <laughs> I've, I've got to drum uh, up my argument a little bit because there's actually a there's actually a receiver, a couple of receivers I really like at number 13. So I got to talk myself into that too. Yeah, I, I don't think it can be a receiver or bust in the first round because once again, as I mentioned before, you have to keep your options open uh, with that first round pick in the event you're trading for a quarterback. And I, I hope I'm not hammering away at that too much, but I just don't, uh, let me just say that I think it's vitally important for the Browns to explore all of their options at quarterback and be very open-minded about it. Maybe they'll be able to get one, maybe they won't, but they need to look into it. So if they don't use their first round pick on a quarterback, then I think the chances are pretty good that they would use it on a receiver. It's a good receiver class. Um, but, um, but I also think that, um, that we've learned enough about Andrew Barry by now that he does not play by everybody else's rules. So just because you think he necessarily has to take a receiver in the first round, we know now that he's not going to do the have to, although, I mean, when you look at his first couple of drafts, like he, he kind of almost had to take the left tackle in 2020. And he really needed uh, to take the cornerback in 2021 for the most part. Um, so chances are pretty good that in a really good, strong wide receiver draft that, that he would do that at number 13 if he didn't use it already on something else. Um, but once again, if you go out and purchase yourself a good receiver in uh, free agency or you trade for one, then that frees you up not to have to do that with your first round pick. And, you know, they like to find diamonds in the rough. So maybe they can find a receiver in the second round or the third round or even the fourth round. I think they also hope that, um, that Anthony Schwartz will take a step up next year. This is a lost, um, that was just a lost season for him. And maybe he'll turn into, maybe he'll live up to his third round status. Once again, sometimes I think we, talk about him like he's a first rounder he's not a first round receiver he's a third rounder he's a third round player um, but still I think they hope that you know the upside is good enough that he will grow into his third round status so I think you can expect better things from him I think you can find a receiver later if you have to yeah I think I think there's guys you know look we've seen success you know like AJ Brown is a guy that was not a day one pick you know, there are guys out there that you can find, and, and I think there'll be guys in this draft you can find in the second round. But at the same time, there's certain players that, man, if they fall to 13, like I'm looking at a, a guy that got mocked to the Browns. Doug actually tweeted it uh, a couple of days ago, uh, Drake London from USC. Like he just, he's big, he's six foot five. He's going to turn 21 in July. He just, he's a Browns draft pick, you know, and, and, and that stuff is important to keep, you know, how young is a guy? They're not going to take a guy who's like 23 years old. Um, but th this, like a guy like that really, really fits in, into what they do. I want to ask you about a specific player and that's Jamison Williams, who is another player I kind of like for the Browns, but he of course tore his ACL in the national championship game. We talked about Chris Godwin, right? Tore his ACL. I mentioned Michael Gallup. He tore his ACL. These are free agent options for the Browns. If they took a guy like Jamison Williams at 13, based on that upside coming off a torn ACL, would that cause a problem in your guys' minds or are you just looking at it like maybe he can't help you September, whatever, whatever day the season opens, but 
I'm willing to bet he's going to help you in the long in the long run. But they have to take a guy who's ready day one, or can they kind of mess around with somebody like that? I mean, you're hoping that they, I guess, if they took somebody coming off an injury with a 13th overall pick, they they better have signed somebody in free agency because I think your first rounder you expect to come in and be a starter for you. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if this team's in a, in a place where they can kind of take that risk without already having somebody in place, you know, somebody to line up with DPJ. Uh, and again, if you're losing Landry, then you got the slot to think about. Um, Higgins largely played that role without him. And then beyond that, there's Felton. I don't know if Felton's your future uh, slot guy or not. I, I would think probably not at this point, definitely not for next season. So some of it comes down to where you want to line them up, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. You'd really have to look into whether or not he could be ready. Yeah, I, I think you can justify it if if he's super high on your board and he's there for you at number 13 and you thought that he was uh, worthy of that pick without the injury, I think you can still go ahead and make that pick uh, because the ACL is not what it was even three, four years ago. Guys are coming back really strong from the ACL. Look at Joe Burrow this year. I mean, that poor guy is getting sacked every other play. I mean, they, they really do a nice job with bringing guys back from ACLs sooner and better than they did five years ago. So it's not the death sentence it used to be. Uh, so I would go ahead and do it. Uh, but as Scott mentioned, you have to be ready to play week one. I mean, now we, you know, we can look back even to that Kansas City game and see how if they would have won that game week one, even though we took some emphasis off of it initially, how every single game matters when you are in a tight division race. It's not like that for every single division, but in the AFC North, like you have got to be able to win football games because it's not you and everybody else. It's everybody that has a chance to win the AFC North. So, um, so you have to be ready to win from week one. And so in that scenario, if I were going to do that, yes, I would have something else in free agency. Uh, that would probably inspire me more so to try to keep Jarvis Landry and tweak that contract because you know you'd have a sure bet there. And then I think that Donovan Peoples-Jones will be better when he is the third-ish type receiver like he's supposed to be instead of the number one X receiver that he was expected to be in 2021 after Odell left and Anthony Schwartz wasn't there to take the top off of a defense and uh, – you know, he drew extra coverage and it just, it just wasn't the right role for him. Uh, so I think he's going to get back to being a good receiver next year. And I think Anthony Schwartz will be better as well. Okay. So Mary Kay, you started down this road and I did want to talk about both these guys uh, because we basically remade the Browns receiver room, but they will both be a part of it. Peoples Jones and Anthony Schwartz. So, mm -hmm. so this is kind of the, the last thing I, I want to get to. I framed the question like this, but you guys can take it wherever you want. Who has more receiving yards next season? DPJ or Schwartz. Hmm. Oh, DPJ. This is assumed. Yeah, I mean, it's easy, it's, it's easy to say DPJ just because we didn't see a lot of Schwartz. But I guess the, the case behind me asking this is if you sign a guy in free agency and draft a guy who's kind of ready right away, those might those are probably your outside guys. So now where does that kind of leave Donovan Peoples-Jones? And does that create an opportunity for Anthony Schwartz, assuming he's able to stay healthy, assuming 
he's catching the football. Does that give him an opportunity and maybe some gadget roles and different things like that to end up with, I don't know, five or 600 yards and maybe DPJ kind of ends up in that, in that in that same neighborhood if everyone's healthy. It depends on who you sign. And uh, you know, if they sign somebody who's going to play outside, then you have DPJ, maybe they look at somebody who's a little more versatile with their draft pick. And then that allows you, uh, and maybe that's, maybe that's a scenario where you aren't taking a guy in the first round. Um, I guess, you know, it depends on what they really think people's Jones can be and become this year and, and beyond. But I mean, he's, he was second to Schwartz in depth of target this year. So he was also a guy that they, they threw to downfield. Um, I still think people's Jones is, is going to be, have a significantly bigger role than, than Schwartz on this team. I'm going to make the case for Schwartz. I'm going to make the case for Schwartz because I do think when you draft a guy in the third round that you have some expectations for him. And I think, I also think that, um, that he's going to work really, really super hard in this off season to put this rookie year behind him and to become a much, much better football player. And I think he's got, I think he, he falls into that smart, tough, accountable category. He was very raw and he needs a lot of coaching up and he needs a lot of uh, mentorship and he needs a lot of time on the jugs machine. Um, But I do think that he has something that you cannot coach and that is speed. And if it, I think if it's one, if there's one thing that we saw about some of these games over this past weekend is that that speed kills. I mean, look at Tyreek Hill, my goodness. And again, you cannot compare Anthony Schwartz to Tyreek Hill, but if you can have that element of speed on the field at times where you can just crush a defense with it, uh, there's just so much to be said for that. And he's got a long way to go. We can all agree with that. He's got a long way to go, but if they can get, you know, a certain percentage more out of him, that 25% jump that you look for from your rookie year to your sophomore year, your second year in the NFL, I think that he has the potential to maybe out outdo DPJ. Okay. So Ashley uh, had to jump off here for a second, but I want to ask you this question. We were talking Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones. And the question I asked is who ends up with more receiving yards next year between the two. And the, the framing of the question was, let's say the Browns go out and sign a guy. And then let's say they draft a guy first or second round. And that of course affects the role that Schwartz has and the role that DPJ has. So Scott made the case for DPJ. Mary Kay made the case for Schwartz. What, what do you think? Is there a scenario where Schwartz finishes ahead of Peoples-Jones? Maybe, but I'm going to go with Scott and say that I, I think it would still be Donovan. Um, I just think overall, when you look at his year this year, obviously still led the team which in, in receiving yards, which is a, a problem, I will admit. But I just think he was not put in the position to succeed this year, given the circumstances on this team. And we've talked about this ad nauseum at this point that he – Kind of this year, he was given the opportunity to maybe be a deep threat, and he isn't necessarily. I mean, he's he's that beating your fighting for a contested catch kind of guy, and he likes slant routes and things like that. Like, that's what he's always been good at. So I just think overall, 
I, I still am kind of on the DPJ train. He brings something a little different given his size, especially in terms of making some of those contested plays. So I, I will stick with him. And, and also, obviously, I wrote that nice big feature on him. So I think I, I, think I have to answer Donovan on this one. Yeah, you're, you're kind of stuck on that. Okay. Yeah. Did, did we cover everything with the receivers? Do we have to spend any time on Richard, on Richard Higgins here? What, what did we miss? I don't think he'll be back. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be back. It was a weird year and he's uh, you know, they could make a little movie or a documentary, the thing that wouldn't leave coming soon at a theater near you. But um, you know, this could be the year that uh, maybe he actually doesn't show back up on the doorstep because last year got a little bit strange. It did. I mean, to be uh, a healthy scratch for one of the biggest games of the year. I mean, that was odd. And uh, so something, there was some disconnect somewhere. I don't know what happened to him, uh, but I, I, it, this could be farewell for Richard. All things we've said before. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, it would be completely unsurprising if it's May 13th and we find out that Richard Higgins is signing with the Browns for a one-year, one-and-a-half million-dollar contract. Yep. Isn't it always stranger things have happened? Yep. <laughs> All right. There we go. Our, uh, our wide receiver, uh, our look at that position. And I do just want to clarify when I say that uh, the, the guy I like in the draft, this, this Drake London guy, it's all based on like a nine minute YouTube video that I watched just highlights. So happy draft season, everybody. That's are you claiming, him, are you claiming him now, Dan? Is that what you're I'm doing? My, I'm, I'm uh, just trying to get, I'm just trying to get Are you planting your board. flag right here? Is this, is this the yeah. moment? Yeah, I'm just trying to get on board early. Just in case <laughs> Doug, Although it's a little Wilson, so you have to pick your guy now. He's he's got a Google problem because when you search him, the first picture that comes up is him getting helped off the field and wincing in pain. So he's he's got to do some uh, he's got to do some work on on that. You know, whoever's agent or somebody's got to get working on that that online side of things for him. But yeah, sure, I'll plant my flag there. <laughs> I got nothing. All right. Say. He's your guy. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll get a trip to California out of it. All right, there. that's going to do it for this edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Scott, Mary Kay, and Ashley. I will talk to y'all later. <laughs>